We're going to open the word to Luke chapter 3 for the word. Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you on this morning. <laughs> thank you for how much you love and care for us. Guide and lead us as, as we look at your, the scripture today. Show us what you would want us to see in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Luke chapter 3, starting at verse 21. Now, when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also being baptized and praying, the heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on in a bodily shape like a dove upon him. And the voice came from heaven, which said, you are my beloved son in you. I am well pleased. And then in Matthew chapter three, looking at verse 13. Then came Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of you, and you come to me. And Jesus answered to him, saying, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becomes us to fulfill all righteousness. Then, then he suffered him. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him, and a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. We look at this and start of baptism. All right. Now, baptism does not get us saved. I don't want to go that far on the baptism, but baptism is an important step in our Christian walk. It, it really is a symbol of going out and saying, I am making an agreement to live after God. Now, Baptists make it really simple. It's an outward expression of an in inward change. We've talked a little bit about this at various times. Um, and Jesus said we have to fulfill. And this is something that's very interesting because we read in here that John did not want to baptize Jesus. You know, why? He was the forerunner of the Christ. He knew that his position was much lower than Jesus' position. And here's Jesus saying, John, baptize me. And you know, it's really hard, and if you've ever been in a place, uh, sometimes when you're a teacher, you get to teach somebody in your class that knows more than you do. And it's sometimes very nerve-wracking, which is why I don't go into any of the classes to, to listen to the teachers, because I don't want them to feel like, you know, you should be teaching this class, so it's easier for me to stay out of the class. Uh, because I've been in a place when I was younger, and a pastor would sit in my class. And you know, it's like, okay, this guy's got the training. This guy probably could do a better job than I could. But when you're called to do something, never feel that way. Jesus went to John and said, it is right for us to do this. It is right for you to baptize me. And this is something that is very interesting when we look at it. Because Jesus baptism was a baptism of repentance. All right. He was calling the people to repent from their sins, which was not what they were usually doing. We talked about this all last Sunday. John, in the Jewish perspective, you, it was all ritual. It was all activity. If I go to the synagogue on Saturday and I listen to the rabbi read the Bible and I take my turn reading the, reading the Pentateuch on my day and I listen to the teaching and, and I'm okay and then I go to my sacrifices five times a year, and I'm okay, I'm going, to go to, I'm going to go to heaven because I've done all my stuff. John's baptism said, no, that is not enough. Now, even in the Jewish perspective, that was not enough. If they read their scriptures, just doing the activities was not enough. 
And this is a problem that we have even in our day in Christianity and all the way back from the very beginning because tonight we're going to be studying in Acts on that whole thing, the battle between law and grace in the first church. But we still have that battle going on in today's world. There are people that go to church and think that I put in, God, I gave you my time. I put in a whole one hour for you this week. I'm, I'm, good, I'm good for you this week. Now, and maybe you're really spiritual. You go on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, you give God three hours. <laughs> that is the process of what John was preaching against. People did good deeds, thinking that I am, I am good with God. I, I've put in my time. And this is why it's kind of interesting that Jesus was being baptized by John into this situation, but he was actually showing the, the need of, of baptism. Now, the word baptism is used 76 times in the New Testament. That's just a few, few references, which means it's something important. And again, it's not something that gets us saved, but it is something that tells something. In the Jewish persuasion, baptism is not new. Baptism is not Christian, a Christian doctrine. It's been used by the Jews for all, almost all their time. And basically, they use baptism for the same thing that we use it for. Death, burial, and resurrection. You died to your teacher, your, to the teacher who you were paying attention to, and you were, you were raised again in somebody else's teaching. Which is why all through the New Testament you read, whose baptism, whose name were you baptized in? And they were looking, John or any, other, any of the other baptisms that they could have had, or the name of Jesus. And it was very important because you were agreeing by being baptized to live under the authority of the person who they, you were making that statement for. So Jesus was saying, John, your teaching is good. Your teaching is good. People need to repent. They don't need to just follow tradition. And this is something we as Christians have to be very careful of in this day and age. It is real easy to follow tradition. You know, uh, and I push for things that could very easily become, detrition, uh, uh, become a tradition. Read your Bible. You know, we have a Bible schedule out there. Read your Bible every day. Now, it's a good thing to be reading your Bible every day. But if you're reading it just to check off the box, I read my Bible, it's not what you want to be doing. Now you're just doing tradition. I like seeing the full house in the church. But if the only reason we're coming to church is to check off a box with God saying, I came to church, we're not doing, we're not doing the right thing. We need to be seeking God in all that we do. And you know, I tell everybody, you know, we really need to be giving God a tithe of our time. God wants a tithe of our possessions, but you know, the biggest possession that we want to hold back from him in many cases is our time. And you think if you're going to tithe, God, tithe your time to God, that means he owes two and a half hours a day. Or 2.4, two and a half, make it easy for you. Uh, you know, or 16.8 hours a week. And you go, well, God, I can't give you that much time. But if you really break it down, it's not that much time. Let's break it down to a minute. He, get, he gets 60 seconds every minute. That's six seconds every minute. Yeah. That wouldn't take long, especially if we obeyed God and we prayed without ceasing. If we just gave God a quick prayer every minute. <laughs> and I realize that's asking a lot, but you know, we want to be looking at what are we serving God? Are we following him just by tradition? And there are many churches that have 
huge amounts of tradition. You know, you do this, you do that, you do that. And then, you know, there are certain denominations and, and religions out there which is all nothing but tradition. And I'm not saying there's nobody that's saved or following God in those traditions, you know, because I know that some of them do. But it, tradition is something that we in our flesh like. Because if I can make a bunch of rules to say this is how I follow God, I can feel good because I got to do something. And God says, no, your salvation comes by grace. By surrendering to Christ. That is hard for us as human beings. We all, no matter how, even the most humblest person in the world usually takes pride in their humility. <laughs> and God is saying, I want you to surrender everything. Because it is easy when I am based on pride, I can blame others for my mistakes. If they had just done what they were supposed to do, God, I wouldn't have done this. I know what I'm speaking of. When I walked away from God, when I got into workaholism and I started working 60, 80 hours a week and I stopped coming to church, nobody from the church called me. Who did I blame for walking away from church at first? I blamed the church. Nobody, nobody loved me. Nobody cared. Nobody, no, you know, it took God slapping me upside the head and saying, no, you made the choice to, to leave. We need to be able to come and realize when there's problems that we have that most of the time it's because I made bad decisions. Now we get attacked and all these other things, but we made bad decisions. We made bad direction in our decisions. We reacted wrong to the trials that came our way. When our trials come, we should be drawing closer to God, and yet as human beings, we usually pull away from God. God, you let all these bad things happen. I'm not going to support you anymore. Or we have the other extreme. I've been making bad decisions. I don't want to go to church. Somebody's going to make judge me. Or innocently just ask, where have you been? You know, have you really had a fear of that question? You know, where have you been? What's happened? And then you have to tell them or not tell them. <laughs> you know, it is, gets very difficult and our pride stands up in the way. Pride is the root of almost all of our problems when we come into this. I don't want, why won't I say anything in a, in a church? Why won't I give my testimony? Because I'm so afraid I'll look foolish by saying something. Why am I not going to step forward and do anything? Because I might look foolish. Now, this is something that we need to be careful of, and this is why surrender to God is so important. So we look at this and go, why did Jesus get baptized? This question gets asked to me all the time. Why did Jesus get baptized? He had no sin. He had nothing to, he had nothing to step forward for. He, hadn't, he had no teacher that he was going to be abiding under. But it really was for our example. For our example. Why did Jesus be circumcised? Not that he might, had much choice at eight days old, but, you know, but he was circumcised. Why did he go to the feast days every, three times a year like he was supposed to? Why did he go to the synagogue? Why did he do all these things? Because he wanted to be the example that these things that God commanded were good and needed to be obeyed. So he followed the same rules that, he had, that everybody else has to follow. And this is something that's very important for us. The Bible is full of most of us read just an awful lot of things to me. But God has not 
written a bunch of suggestions. He has given commandments, and we're not just talking about the Ten Commandments. We're not talking about the 613 commandments in the Old Testament. We're talking about simple things like pray always. In every give thanks, for this is the will of Christ Jesus concerning When you read those, those are not suggestions on how we should live. Those are commandments from God. And we could keep going through and through, but we're not going to take that much time today to go through all the different commandments that you're going to find in the scriptures. But it is so important for us to understand God says that he is Lord and master of his children. This is something that we sometimes have a big problem with. When God says to do something, he expects obedience. Now, he knows that we can't be 100% obedient. But that is not an excuse for us not to try. I hear that all the time. Well, I just can't do it, so I'm just not going to try to live that way. Well, you know what? You can suffer the consequences for not living that way. There are consequences for disobedience. Over and over again, we have those consequences. There's consequences for, for obedience as well. We like that. We call those rewards. <laughs> we like the rewards for being obedient. We don't usually like the consequences for disobedience, but God says that what you reap, you sow. And we've talked about this. The biggest law of sowing and reaping is that when you sow something, you do not expect. When you plant one little corn, corn seed in the ground, you're not expecting to get one, one kernel of corn back. You know what you're going to get. If you plant a kernel of corn, you get a stalk. And that stalk hopefully has several ears of corn on it. When we sow in our life, we reap more than we sow. And this is something we have to get into our heads. It works for good and for bad. Most of what happens in our life you know, there's a lot of people that want to say, the devil made me do it. Well, the devil never makes you do anything. He can help you down the path to making a bad decision. But you know, the devil does not have to get involved in our life at all for us to sin. We have the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, and the, pride, and the, and the lust of the eyes. We get into trouble plenty often without any help. Our flesh comes up and says, I want what I want. I want to do what I want to do. Now, it could range from all the way from being extremely lazy and not doing anything to the problem that I have of being a workaholic and doing too much. Both are just as bad if it's not focused on what God has asked us to do. It can work down to, you know, I am so humble, everybody look how humble I am, to being extremely prideful and everybody has to bow down to you. Yeah. And this is the thing about it. Sin has two sides to almost every one of the sins. We can be almost too good and take pride in our goodness. Heaven is going to be filled with a lot of people that we would consider bad people. Hell is going to be filled with a lot of people that are considered good people because they're not saved by Jesus Christ righteousness. They do lots of good works. I know lots of people who don't know Jesus at all that do lots of good things. They help people, they, 
They give away all their stuff. They will do all these things for them. But Jesus even said, many in that day will say, Lord, Lord, didn't I? And if you look at the long list, he fed the hungry and went and visited the poor, you know, helped the poor and helped the widows and the orphans and went to the prisons and clothed people. And God says, depart from me. I never knew you. Because it's all about Jesus. Jesus came to live a perfect life. A perfect life. He had a very short life. He only lived 34 years as in, human, in a human fleshly body. But he lived a perfect life, and that perfection put him on a cross to die for our sins. I've always wondered, God, wouldn't it be nice if you made me perfect? Then I think, well, perfection put Jesus on the cross. Maybe it wouldn't be a very good place to be. <laughs> you know, uh, but I do want to be more perfect and more perfect, and God sanctifies us. When we are saved, when we come to Christ and say, God, I repent of my sins. I am a sinner. I deserve punishment. I accept your sacrifice for my sins. Come in and dwell with me. God, the Father, at that moment, gives us justification. He says we're perfect. Now, that's an amazing thought because one thing I know, I've only been walking very short short 50 years with God, and I know one thing, for, even after 50 years, I'm nowhere close to being perfect. And yet, when I was 10 years old, God said, you're perfect. It's an amazing thought. God sees us different than we see ourselves. He declares us perfect, and he is already outside of time, so he already sees us as perfect when he's going to glorify us anyway. It's hard to even see how God the Father sees us. The Holy Spirit says, okay, I'm going to sanctify you. I'm going to start making you perfect. And I hope everybody in this room is, is, if you know Jesus, that you're learning to be more and more perfect. Now, most of the time, we can't see it over the short period of time. We have to look back over a period of time. But I hear many people all the time go, well, you know what? I can't do what I, I used to be able to do this, and it was no problem. I used to be able to do this, and it was no problem. Now I can't even think about doing it. That is sanctification. That is when you're getting sanctified, when you're saying, I can't do the things I used to do. Now, don't get too excited as you get that place, because there's always lots more that God's going to say you can't do. Yeah, the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. Who can know it is what we're told in Jeremiah, and we just... It's an amazing thing. The more you walk with God, the closer you draw with God, the more you realize how awful you are. <laughs> Paul said at the end of his life, he says, I'm the chiefest of sinners. Now, I had many people when I was younger tell me that he was talking about how bad he was when he first got saved. You know what? The older I get, the more I realize he was talking about how bad he saw himself through the Holy Spirit as he saw the depth of his sin in his heart. Because you look, and a lot of times you walk with God long enough and you say, okay, God, I, you know, I, I'm pretty good. You know, I used to do, I'm not going to list off sins because I'm not going to give anybody a list of sins to, to be looking at, but you know, I used to do all these things, God, I don't do them anymore. I, I'm doing pretty good. And God shines the light a little deeper and says, okay, what about this, 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 and this? Uh, God, uh, those aren't sins, are they? God says, yes. <laughs> you know, 
This is the thing that is always going to happen is for as long as we live, as long as we walk with God, he's going to say, you still have sin. Because he compares us not to the rest of the world. Some of us look pretty good compared to the rest of the world. But God says, my standard isn't the world. My standard is my, my perfect righteousness, my perfect holiness, my perfect love, my perfect care. And we're going, wow, I don't stand up to you at all. This is why it's going to be very shocking to many people who think they're good people. When they stand before God, they're going to stand in their righteousness. All the good things that they think they did, and they're going to look down and realize that they're clothed in filthy rags, as Isaiah 64 tells us. They're going to stand before God and say, God, look at all my good things I did as they look down and realize that their good is rags. Only thing that will stand is what's done in Christ. For us as Christians, we stand at the bema seat of Christ and Jesus throws all of our works into the fire and says, okay, what comes out? If you did it, it burns up. Wood, hay, and stubble. Now, wood is pretty substantial. We make things out of wood all the time. We make buildings and, and furniture out of wood. It's really good stuff. It, it, it does some really good things. Wood represents all the really good things that we can do in our own strength. And it burns up. And Jesus says, I want you to have everything that you allowed me to do in your life. Now, the good news is we'll have more than we think we do. The times you spoke a kind word to somebody and you didn't know what you had done. The times you prayed for somebody and didn't realize the power you were putting into action. The times that you just reached out and used God's love on somebody will be rewarded. We will be rewarded for more than we can ever imagine when we do get to heaven. And if you think you're going to get a reward, it's probably going to burn up. <laughs> yeah. And that's the, that's the hard thing. When we think we've done good things, those are probably done in our own flesh and our own, our own power and will burn up. And Jesus came to John and says, John, I'm, I need you to be baptized. I need to fulfill. I've been going to the sacrifices. How do we know that? Because when he was 12 years old, we talked about it last week. When he was 12 years old, he stayed behind and talked, talked to the church. Why did they go when he was 12 years old? Because they went every year to the feast. Every year to Passover, just like they were supposed to. Every year for first fruits, just like they were supposed to. Every year... Joseph had probably have taken Jesus after age 12 to go to Yom Kippur for the sacrifice of the, the atonement. He followed all the laws that he was supposed to follow. And remember, when he stayed back from in, in 12 years old, his mom and dad said, why have you, or Joseph and, his, and Mary said, why did you do this to us? You stayed behind you. He goes, didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? And the next verse says he was submitted to them. He went back home to submit to them, just as was told in the commandments, honor your father and mother. He waited until he was 30 years old to begin to teach because that was the accepted time in the Jewish, Jewish religion to be able to teach. So as soon as he got to be 30, he started teaching. And this first step was to be baptized, the forerunner. And it's an amazing thing that he came up out of the water and God the Father approved of him. 
One of the greatest things I want to hear when I go before the Father is, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into heaven. Now, you want, the only way I'm going to get to hear that is by God's grace. Because I know that I'm not good enough and perfect enough to hear it, but I expect to hear it because I want to serve him as much as possible. I want that to be, this was the statement of Jesus. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. What a beautiful thing. And John saw the spirit of God descending as a dove you know, onto, onto Jesus. Now, there are people that want to deny the Trinity. This is one of our pictures of the Trinity. The Son comes up out of the water. The Father speaks and says, this is my Son, and the Holy Spirit descends upon him. People who want to deny the Trinity, this is one of the verses they have to get around. And it's not an easy one to get around. I don't know how they can. But it is one of the verses that stand up for the Trinity of God, the, the three parts of God that are one. And we've talked about this at various times, and we're not talking about the Trinity today because I didn't want to go that way. <laughs> but it is kind of interesting because the one thing I've told you is I can tell you everything the Bible has to say about the Trinity, and when we get done, you're not going to understand the Trinity any better than when we started. All right? Uh, because everything that we can use to describe the Trinity falls apart. We have an egg, three parts in an egg, but as soon as you break the egg, you've broken the, you've broken the unity of it. So God and the Father and the Son can be, can be separated and do things individually and still have not been broken. You know, we talk about the three states of matter, liquid, gas, and, and, uh, uh, liquid, gas, and solid. <laughs> Forget, you know, but you can only be one at a time in, the, in, the, in that state, so it's still not a picture of, of God. God is God. He is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit all the time, all together. They are one, and yet they are three distinct individuals, and we can't fully understand that. And you know what? That does not bother me, that I can't understand it. And I've said this many times. If I could understand every aspect of God and every aspect of the Word of God, I don't have a big enough God. I would be God, and that, I don't want to be God. I would do a very bad job as God. So I have to have a God who's bigger than me. I have to have a God that I cannot fully understand to be God. Because if I could understand him completely, he's not big enough. And this is something for us to understand. God is bigger than anything we can comprehend. He is more powerful than anything we can comprehend. If we think that we can comprehend God, we have too small a God because he should always be greater than his creation. So when we come across these things, people will use it, well, I can't understand that, so I don't believe it. I'm going, that's foolish. That is just a foolish statement. You want to be God. And it's an amazing thing how many people want to be God without thinking that they want to be God. God, I have to know everything there is to know about you, or you just can't be believed. Well, I'm God. I, I, I'm the ruler of everything. The people who want to pick and choose what's true in the Bible. Well, I don't know if I believe that. Is it God's word or is it your word? Who are you going to believe? Who are you going to trust? We need to be able to decide, I am going to follow God even when he tells me things that make no sense. And you know what? God tells me to do a lot of things that don't make any sense to me. He gives me instructions. 
He gives us a really strange instruction that we were talking about tithing time. He says, give me 10% of all that you own. Now, from the human point of view, that's really crazy. But you know, from God's point of view, he says, if you trust me, I'm, gonna, I'm going to give back. I listen to the testimonies of so many people that have challenged God by giving more than the 10%. And it's a fun thing to do. Give God. There's a statement out there that I, I truly believe that you can't outgive God. And you know what? I've had to prove that many times. I had a time when I made that statement and God says, do you really believe that? And it was one of the examples when I actually listened to him. I go, God, okay, how much more? <laughs> how much more do you want? <laughs> one of the time, one of the few times I obeyed instantly. But you know, I haven't missed anything that, it, that I, I've turned over to God. God will always reward our obedience. And you know, if nothing else, the greatest reward that we have will be, no matter how bad things are in this lifetime, heaven is going to blow you away. <laughs> when you reach heaven, it will just make everything on this life melt away to nothing. We have a statement on the, on the PowerPoint at the beginning from Max Licato. God never promised that it would be, the life would be easy, but he said the reward would be worth it. I don't think that's exactly the way it was, but it's what it, what it amounts to. And this has been said by many, many Christians over the years. God never said life would be easy here. Paul said it. He said, I thank God for the light afflictions that I've been going through compared to heaven. And we think of Paul's light afflictions, you know, being beat in just about every city they got in, chased, stoned, uh, shipwrecked, uh, uh, accused of all kinds of nonsense. You know, Paul had a really easy life. And he says, these are light, not in comparison to this lifetime, but compared to the glories of heaven. Where is our focus as a Christian? As a Christian, we are pilgrims in this world. This is not home. This is not home for us. We're looking for a home in eternity that Christ is building for us right now. He said, I go and prepare a place for you. If it weren't not so, I would have told you. Jesus has been spending, it took Jesus and the Father six days to create the world. He said 2,000 years ago, we went to prepare a place. I'm kind of amazed. What kind of place is God creating that takes 2,000 years for God to, to fix up? <laughs> when it took him six days to create everything that we can see and touch. The beauty of heaven is just going to be mind-blowing. And we see this whole process of going in. The father was saying, my son is accepted. He has done everything. This has another point in it that the Passover lamb was selected from the herd of the flock for the family. And do you know enough about the Passover? You probably don't, but the Passover lamb was brought out of the flock and was made a pet for four days. So the people, so the family could look at it for fall in love with their, with their lamb, especially the kids. And then it was killed on the fourth day just as Jesus went for four years of ministry to be examined by the people before he was sent into execution. 
So in actuality, this, this, we're getting ready to, to enter into the spiritual Passover. The Passover lamb is being brought out to be examined, to be looked at by the world, to be seen that it is perfect, to fall in love with this lamb that is going to die for the sins of the people. So the, from God's perspective, Passover starts right at this point when Jesus is baptized because he goes right into ministry. Well, first he goes into temptation, then into ministry. Luke, Luke we get to go straight into ministry. <laughs> but all of this stuff that he goes into, the Passover lamb has now been presented. And God says, I approve. I approve of the lamb. It's perfect. This is my son. And now he's going to be examined for four days or four years before he's crucified as the Passover lamb on Passover to be resurrected thereafter. Jesus did not stay in the ground. He resurrected after three days in victory and life so that we could have life. This is the power of what was going on, the power of what this was all about. He was fulfilling all the law and the Father says, the lamb is ready. The lamb is ready to be crucified. And it's a really hard thing for us to understand that the, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and the Father all got together before they created mankind. And this is what, a mind-blowing thing to me. They got together before they created mankind and said, we're going to create these, these men. They're going to sin. Jesus, will you die for them? <laughs> and he agreed to die. He was a lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Because God knew that he was going to create us, that we were going to sin, and that we would need a Savior. And went ahead and created us, even though he knew that it was going to cost him his very life to buy us back. The love of God is so amazing. And we take it for granted so often. The depth of his love the depth of his grace, the depth of his mercy. We can't even begin to understand any of that. And I'm going to tell you, when you think you begin to understand it, God's going to show you that you don't understand it. I've only been studying for a short 50 years, and I still don't understand half of God's love and half of his grace and anything. Every time I begin to think I understand anything about it, he shows me something more and says, you don't hardly understand the depth. And we will spend eternity learning about God. Don't let anybody ever tell you that when you get to heaven, you're going to know all things. Only God knows all things. We are not going to heaven to become God. We are going to heaven to be his children for eternity. And be learning about him for all of eternity. And just think that through for a moment. We get to know him better every year, every day. We get to know it for eternity. You want to start understanding the depth of who God is? We're going to know his love better when we get, to, when we get into step into heaven and realize how much he loves us. We're going to understand his grace really well, but we really still won't know his love and his grace because we'll be learning about it for all of eternity. And that's how deep and how big and how infinite his love and, and his grace and his mercy and his character is. We cannot understand infinity. If you think you understand infinity, you don't understand infinity. 
Well, God, I can, th I can think of this really, 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 really big number. And God says, well, square it. <laughs> I can't make that big number. And God says, well, yeah, I'm not even going to tell you to square it. I'm going to say raise it by itself. <laughs> raise that big number by the power of the big number. And try to conceive that number. <laughs> and you still haven't gotten into anywhere that God is. Because he's infinitely more than whatever we can comprehend. So I just want us to really think about this. No matter how big you think God is, you're, he's too small. No matter how strong you think he is, you're, you're, you've got him too weak. No matter how much you think he loves, you don't know the beginning of his love. He is infinitely all of his characteristics. We need to really start understanding the transcendence of God, how much greater he is than us. Because we as humans try to humanize God. This is what the mytholo mythological gods do. They, just, they made very strong men. I, if you ever studied Greek history, uh, mythology, or Roman mythology, Norse mythology, any of, these, any of these religions, they're just very strong, very powerful human beings with all the failures and, and problems of human beings. Why? Because that's what man creates. They want a God that they can try to understand. We worship a God that we cannot understand. And if you think you understand God, you need to know God better. Because you'll never understand him. He has ways that we are, don't understand. Isaiah says his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. You know, we will never understand God, and in all of eternity, we will never fully understand God. Does that mean we won't get to know him better and better? No, we'll get to know him better and better, but we will never fully understand God. And if you've ever thought that you understood God and you try to put him in a box, God loves to step out of boxes. Now, he will never violate his attributes, but he's also not going to put us, have us put him in a box and say, God, you've got to do it this way. Why did God do things different all the time in Scripture? Because he knew exactly what we would do as, as human beings. We'd put him in a box and say, this is, what God, this is how God does this. God rescues his people by, you know, pick any one of your stories. God, you rescue your people by standing around them with, with pitchers and, and fire and, and noisemakers. Oh, no, God, you rescue your people by sending a man with supernatural strength. Oh, no, God, you just send an angel. God did it on purpose to make sure that we didn't set it a way that this is how God works. Because he knows that we as humans like to have tradition. This is the way things happen. So we look at this and say, Jesus is going to begin his ministry, and he starts with baptism. I want to have a baptism. If anybody needs to be baptized, come and talk to me because we need, we, we want to do another baptism in another couple of weeks just to, you know, or months or something because we don't use this floor, this hole in the floor very often. Uh, so if anybody needs to be baptized, talk to me because it is an important step, but it isn't an agreement that God, I am going to live by another standard than, than what it is. They were, in the New Testament, it was to be baptized in the name of Jesus. Why? Because my agreement is I'm going to live by his rules. And that's what baptism ultimately is a symbol of. It's not for salvation, but it is, 
a public declaration that I'm dying to my old way of life and being brought to life to a new way of teaching. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for how much you love and care for us. We ask you to bless us. Lord, if there's anybody listening online or in this room that doesn't know you, that we ask today that they would repent of their sins. They would say, Lord, I am a sinner. I deserve punishment. I believe that Jesus died for my sins. I repent. Come into my life and save me and follow him. And we just thank you. And for, Lord, the rest of us, we pray that you will put it on us to serve you more, listen to you closer, be led and guided by you in all that we do. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friend, do you know where you'll go after you die? Without the gift of Jesus, it will be an eternity in hell without God. Good works will not get you there. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. To spend eternity with God, we must recognize that we are sinners in need of Christ. For all of sin and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. To be assured eternal life, we simply talk to God, admit you are a sinner, and ask him for his free gift. You must mean the words to, get the, to be answered. Jesus is waiting to hear your request. If you have asked him for eternal life, he has come into you and he will change you. Start reading the book of Ephesians and see what God says about your new life. After you understand the book of Ephesians, you can start reading the Gospel of John. Next, find a good Bible teaching church. Tell the pastor about your decision for God and be taught. If you contact us, we will send you a new believer booklet free of charge. Congratulations and grow in Christ. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by snail mail at P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona 86431. We are happy to help with your new life in Christ or even answering Bible questions. Again, congratulations on your decision for Christ.